Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Cool jobs of the future, featuring Veronika Kuna, Daniel Semeri, and Magda Kubowska. Thank you for agreeing to to be with us today uh, and to find uh, time to. Um, to join us. We have today Veronika Kuna with us, Government Affairs Lead at Microsoft. We have Daniel Merey with us. Um, Daniel is the director and co-founder of uh, Health Venture Lab at GE Healthcare. Um, welcome. And um, I'm happy to have you to talk about jobs of the future. Um, We will choose the coolest ones um, because that's our topic. So um, I wanted to ask you what uh, what do you think uh, the jobs of the future will be? What sectors um, might be um, bringing cooler jobs uh, than the other? What education we should choose now to uh, to have a cool job in the future? Veronica, maybe you can start. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me for the session. And also thank you for choosing the topic because I find it super interesting. There was an amazing uh, conference on the future of work by MIT. And there was one session that I uh, particularly found interesting, which was asking a question, are we over talking about future or of work? Is it, you know, something that we already talked so much that we should just stop talking about that? And, uh, and the clear answer was no. That's There's still a lot of work for us to, to discuss. And I would like to tell you that um, I find I, it's very difficult for me to answer the question, what's going to be the cool job of the future? But I think that the jobs that we have today the most traditional jobs will become much cooler and much different. I'm really happy to be a co-panelist with Daniel, who is expert in, in a healthcare system, because I think that actually the, the, the work of doctors or healthcare workers of the future is going to change a lot. And I think it's going to be super exciting. Uh, when we will look at the doctors of the future, I think the doctor is going to become an orchestrator of our healthcare. So he will be getting so much information about our health from different sources, from uh, from all the meters that are around available, from the analytics of the data that our body is giving. And his decision and his work will not be about finding those information. He will have all this information on his hand and then his brain power will be used for making the reasoning out of this data. So I don't think that the machines will be doing that this final decisions. It's going to be still very human, but he will have all this information on his hands, so he will be orchestrating. And I think that would be very, very um, effective. And I think it will happen something very similar, for example, for the architects. It's still going to be an architect, but the creative part of his work will be so much more advanced 
compared to what is now because the 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 all difficult parts of counting on on measuring on deciding if this is the right measure or uh, you know the, the 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 heaviness of the material this will be done by the machines and will be done with much more effect than we what people could do now but the creative part will be there still absolutely uh, Daniel, you think the same? Can you take the, this pressure on you? First of all, thank you as well for, for having uh, me here and for all the organizers of, of having having invited us. And it's great to have Veronica here on the panel with me. So I just, uh, when I when I got this topic, like we should talk about it, um, you know, we work with Health Venture with a lot of startups. And so I com- constantly, I'm thinking about like what is the type of advice they as entrepreneurs should take. And without trying to kill this topic, I, I want to make sure that uh, to, to frame it. So I think um, it's impossible uh, to predict this kind of future. And actually, it's not really useful to think about uh, about uh, trying to predict certain uh, specific outcomes. Uh, rather, I think it's much more interesting to think about what are the strategies that we can develop today that will ensure that even if there is a lot of volatility in, in work, um, makes us like right now the better, the best choices uh, that will bring the best outcome. So, for example, uh, taking optionality. So, um, always deciding which direction to take by by asking like what is what is the which option of the two or the three or as many as you can think about uh, which one will give me the most option in the future and this will ensure a lot of a lot of future proofing and so for example i think veronica very rightly said like yes one example could be that uh, that doctors become orchestrators and i think it's by the way useful that we have these discussions not because um we are coming up with you know, actual predictions, but because we are thinking about how we want to shape the future. So it's really about us thinking about like what we want rather than what's going to happen and preparing for that. So, um, but if I have to give you an example, I think um, one thing that's really happening, um, I think in a large scale and not just in healthcare is that um, localization and empowerment of um, people. So going from top-down systems to distributed systems. For example, the point of care uh, in healthcare is moving from the hospital, from the doctor, to the patient itself. And um, and a lot of the things, uh, uh, what, you, what you consider now an external work, you're going to be doing yourself without a lot of hassle, thanks to technology. Yes, so we can mention all this uh, equipment that follow your pregnancy at home or... Uh, just measure your blood pressure to be safe, you know, and, and the doctors are informed if anything goes wrong. Um, indeed. Um, okay, but let's start from the beginning, because I think that the biggest worry uh, that people nowadays have is that, you know, they will lose their jobs, um, even if they are advanced uh, or very, very cool. Uh, um, because of robots, because of drones, because of technology, um, some some jobs are already gone. 
Um, what do you foresee? If I may take the question. Absolutely. So, so one of the very important things for us to remember that is some kind, um, somehow is, is, is positive and optimistic is that 63% of the jobs that we had in 1940 were not existing anymore in 1918, but it's too soon to be happy about that because when you look deep, deeper in that, you can find that actually the pace of changes that is happening now is much quicker. So the technology is, is, is changing our reality. And there is a problem that some countries might be faster at adopting technologies. And actually, there was this amazing report by IMF saying that this is true. They just measured that. They measured that the countries with, with higher level of technologies are adopting the new technology just sooner. So this is a huge problem that we are facing now, not that we will be losing jobs, because the jobs will be coming, the new types of jobs that are coming with new technologies, they will be there. And, 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 it, and it's just a case of, the, of how the states will um, facilitate that process of supporting those that need to be reskilled. But I think many, many countries are already, especially in CE, are aware of that, that are starting programs and they are discussing that, right? So so reskilling is one of the things that we need to care about. But there is something more than just skilling, the pace of when, how and when we are doing that. Some of the countries, technology advanced, will be changing that much, much quicker than others. And those countries who do not have that may be lagging behind. And disparity between countries might be really huge. Also, another disparity that was, uh, that was re researched recently is between men and women and their skills, because technological skills are associated until now, and they are much more popular among men. But at the same time, we just need to keep in mind that the more human skills, soft skills will be needed very much, even more to, they, they will never be replaced by, uh, by machines. But yet again, they are um, associated with women. And that might also cause some um, gap in the market, not the gap, but actually division between men and women and the work they, they are doing and they are uh, specialized in. And, and this is something that it's good that we are researching and, and, and it's good that there is so much universities and institutions looking into that. And we can, we can work on that because there are some problems, but I don't think that lack of work is the problem. I think the problem is somewhere else. Yes, I agree. I agree. I, I think um, as much as I can see the the best um, entrepreneurs uh, and who actually succeed uh, in switching jobs uh, are the ones um, who have who are doing lifelong learning. So, uh, and this is why it's exciting that there are so many organizations helping um, helping actually switch between jobs and 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 so access to knowledge is much much easier. So whether the pace of the pace pace of changes is is growing, I, that 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 is for sure. I think access to that knowledge and access to how you um, just think about all the um, software developer uh, programs that that are are in Europe, um, especially here in Hungary. I can I, I know three big companies that that are doing their I think build, um, you know um, helping about three thousand uh, software developers every three months. So it's they are pumping out a new. Uh, new career changes um, in, in a vast quantity. So I think it's really inspiring from that point of view. 
You're listening to the Visegrad Inside Podcast special New Europe 100 edition. Follow us for more podcasts from this series where we talk to those who share courage for innovation and speak on big ideas. Check our New Europe 100 publication series at visegradinside.eu. And follow our social media. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter and endorse us on your favorite podcast platform. We spoke with um, with PwC and Danton's representatives, and they both claimed that uh, it is more the responsibility of companies nowadays to uh, nowadays to. Um, to help people adapt uh, and and seek for uh, options for them, um, do you do you think this is the same, or um, or this is more an educational system uh, we live in uh, that should do the job? I think that there is a the education is the word, right? Education, skilling, this is the word, and and Daniel just mentioned long life learning. And, and, and constant learning, uh, but I would go further. I have my case at Microsoft. I'm, I'm, I'm working only for, for three months. So I learned so many things about how the corporation can be organized, how training, skilling, onboarding in the time of COVID can be organized. And I'm amazed. I'm amazed that this can be done and, and, and with amazing uh, results, but, the very important element that surprised me a lot is that we are encouraged to change our job even completely once every four years. So we are challenged to get skilling all the time. So so we are really encouraged to do the skilling so that in four years, when we are about to change our position, we can really change it completely from going from being like myself, a public policy specialist, to being something much more technical or, for example, much more financial. And I have four years of doing my, my work and at the same time scaling to something new. And the constant, the, the, the constant change, this is something that is adopted at Microsoft, even though it's, it's not named, but that's how I feel about it. And I think it's very interesting. I, I mean, I did myself at least five or six jobs until now in my life. I've been from babysitter and, and as a teenager uh, through the academic and uh, university teacher and event manager and public, uh, you know, um, working at the public administration. So I am happy, but this is my personal quality. And we need to think about people that are going to learn something very specific, very technical at the university. And for them, change of work is not something that they just do from one day to another. They need serious reskilling. So I think all of the um, campaigns that are now being promoted about skilling and teaching and learning new uh, new technologies not only but new skills altogether because they can also be a soft skills one of the jobs of the future that is going to be very much needed and i was very surprised to see that is a project manager because project management it's not something very obvious that as we might see because this is again the funny word orchestra orchestrator of the process and it can be soft technical doesn't matter wherever you go you need to have very serious set of skills to be a good project manager and um and this is something that we can learn and this is actually there is a lot of soft skills in the being a project manager that we need to uh, have in mind 
Right. Daniel, do you, do you, what do you think about education? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, like more systematically rather than uh, own, uh, own yeah. education. Yes. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I, I can not, not about my education, but health venture lab really kind of challenges uh, or helps uh, people who come from research and engineering background really um, to change into entrepreneurship. Um, and so we have a lot of different types of programs, not just us, but I can see, uh, you know, this is a kind of incentivized across um, across the continent, but also different domains. So we, for example, we have a catalyst program where we help researchers who come out um, uh, they, they have just done their PhD. And instead of going into academia, uh, we we have a program that really tries to help them research into, not into publication, but into impactful research. So I think this is really a tendency that I really welcome because um, if, you, if you really think about this, it used to be the company, that there's a company man. You're with a company for 20, 25 years, um, which uh, in, in the, I don't know, 60s and 70s was a great promise because you had job security, you had fixed income, except, uh, for example, in the 90s, suddenly you had, you were working 25 years for a company and suddenly you were, you were, you were let go. And so uh, this happened quite often uh, as uh, the internet era came in and those people weren't able to adopt because they never had to. And actually these are hidden risks that you are taking when you are saying, okay, this is a job security, uh, I'm getting the paycheck every day, but there are, there are those black swan events when you are actually out of a job and you have forgotten how to adopt. So we really encourage entrepreneurship, not for the sake of entrepreneurship, then or because it's a nice buzzword, but because you really start thinking um, in terms of uh, like investing your own time and how you, are, how you get equity out of that, how you can leverage uh, certain situations uh, so that you, 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 and actually the whole society gets out a little bit better uh, by that. So I encourage this, what Veronica was outlining, um, these kind of a bit uh, smaller paced uh, or, or like, like shorter uh, periods of, uh, of, of intensive job and maybe seeing new, new opportunities as you go because you become resilient uh, in the long run. But I also think that, you know, the, the, the last year showed that people are very agile. So we can, as humans can adapt to the new situations really quickly. It's very—it's too soon for us to say how we will come out, out of that because I think there is a lot of mental challenge for all of us and we are starting to struggle and, and realize that more and more. And that, that's a great lesson for those who are pre like designing the future, uh, future of work and, and, and it, be it uh, uh, universities and future of education or or actually future of raising kids it's it's also something important because you know the the young parents now are challenged with deciding how to raise your children to the future that they don't know and they don't know how it's gonna work so so you need to uh, be aware that you need to teach your kids a set of skills and and yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge question that we also start to ask ourselves and, and the amount of books that you have now on digital kits and, and how much screen time is allowed. You know, none of us, none of our parents were uh, giving us such advice and we just need to make an experiment of our on our own kids. And this is something that also is influencing the future of work because when we think about what the school can give to our kids, I don't think we need to teach them how to use computers. I think this is something that is inev inev 
sorry, something that we cannot miss, and this this would just happen. But question, actually, it's open question for both of you and on our audience. So, do you think that universities, for example, not the technical ones, but just the general education, should be should be teaching more of how to handle the future, how to handle your life, how to handle your emotions, how to handle your, you know, the, the satisfaction, and then to, to, to give the opportunity to learn to the students and, for example, to the employers so that they teach the exact work that the person has to do. Because I see more and more that um, employers tend to look for some mindset and type of personality rather than set of skills. So they want to have an open-minded person, can do attitude, and then they just get that person and they teach them everything they need from that person. And this person is rising in the company. And I don't know if this is the future, but this is something definitely that we are seeing already on the market. Indeed. You, you see it also in Hungary? This is the same phenomenon? Definitely. Yeah, exactly. When, when just in our organization, when we hire, we always look for like, actually one thing that we really look for is optimism. And uh, it really helps uh, when you're dealing with startups that you yourself are optimistic. Um, obviously with uh, with uh, with some, there are, we have to have some team members that are, are um, realistically pessimistic. But actually, turning back to your question is, um, how would you prepare your, your children? I would go, I just read a couple of days ago, I'm, I'm not very religious, but I read from the, I read a short, short passage for them from the Talmud that says, like, you should put one third of your assets into real estate, one third uh, into business, and one third you should have it as cash. And I think this is a really wise strategy from 3,000 years ago. Uh, basically, putting two very antagonistic risks. So one, one thing that you could do for your kid is teach them a lot of maths and maybe do something and also teach them to be a musician. So one of them is maybe very risky to succeed. Uh, the other one is a very, very uh, good strategy if you want to get a solid solid uh, place in life. So I'm, I'm, this is just an example, but this barbell, barbell strategy is, is very good in investing, but it's also very, very good when you're planning your own personal life. So um, if I had to train my my kids, then that would be the the way uh, the way I the way I, way I try to to nurture them. I've been uh, I've been thinking before the session about how to how to you know dig into the topic together with you, and I had this um, one of thoughts in my head that there is a lot of creativity needed that is connected with technology and i just realized that actually those are entrepreneurs that are adapting the fastest because the startups and people who run startups they are already adapting to the work of the future they took the opportunity of their creative minds they took the technology that they saw on the horizon and they are doing the most amazing things that are changing our reality and i think that this is not only talking about work of the future that will you know come it's not gonna come it's us gonna make it and actually there is a lot of individuals who are already making it and 
some of them are trained professionals from the universities. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have, you know, the impression that only young people that quit out of the universities started to make a startups because I know uh, the the really seasoned managers from banks who have amazing startups, fintech startups right now. But I think this is the the creative part that we have in us matched with the technology, and and this is only human who can see the possibility because you need to see the problem, the business problem, the societal problem that you want to solve. You need to have in your head again idea and technology is only the answer how it's, it's the way to answer this uh, this problem that you that you see with your creative mind. I think the future of education is not being specific in something. The universities in the US, they are much, much more focusing on challenges. So the students need to um, think about the problem and how this problem can be solved. And then they are learning through that with the experience of others in the, in the past. I think in, in Europe, we are just focusing on learning the ideas of the past, be it the technical, be it the humanistic, being historic. You're just learning how it was, but there is the element of building something new to learn is not present. And I think this is the biggest problem. Right. Daniel, do you think our European um, education is, is too traditional? Uh, yes and no. I think um, I think a lot of it is marketing, and which is the US is amazing in, and really selling uh, one like if you if you have both of you have ten uh, I don't know peanuts, they would be able to sell it as hundred, while maybe European universities can sell it as five. So uh, I think there is a lot of uh, really good approaches in Europe as well. One thing that really stands out, and I uh, and thank you, Veronica, that you brought up architecture in the beginning. My original um, education is architecture, but so I can compare, for example, um, a Central European architectural school to, uh, for example, one in the UK, which is much more um, similar to the US uh, Anglo-Saxon system. And uh, what you can see is one of them is case study based and really just lets you try to figure out yourself what the solution is. And the other one, as Veronica said, is very, very much, um, I, I would say, knowledge based or like um, um, encyclopedic knowledge and which can get very fast outdated. So but what I'm very happy about is that, for example, with, uh, with, with G Healthcare and Health Venture Lab, we have a lot of university partners who are here and are constantly telling us, we want to do this. We want to create, we want to understand the startups. We want to change, reform how we educate them. Um, so I can, I have a huge promise uh, for, uh, for high hopes for these, uh, for the European universities, because I can see that the tendency is improving and the quality of people and quality of education is there. It's, and, and the mindset change has already begun. I think it's impossible to think about the future of work, future of anything without the science, scientific, the universities and the ideas that are coming from the universities. While I appreciate a lot of uh, business people who are result-oriented and goal-oriented, I think that they tend to oversimplify things and they, you know, they overlook um, the results out of the things that they are, you know, proposing as business. And I think we need very careful scientific um, supervision, let's call it like this, uh, so that some of the very important elements are not being missed, especially now that uh, AI 
is around the corner or actually on our hands already. And I think this is the technology that might change a lot. We all feel that and we all fear this. And even myself coming from the technology company where AI is, is really something that we focus a lot, we we do think about problems that might come up and and we do work with those problems and we do try to to tackle them somehow and uh, and also in the, in the in the field of work with the with the doctors of with the architects or farmers you know the the AI will be supporting doing their job different way maybe more productive way but it's still going to be their their job just easier thanks to thanks to ai but still there are some threats and we need those scientists we need universities not only to teach our students from the humanistic perspective looking over technology and being supervisor of the technology but also providing some solutions some technology some ideas for for the rest to actually implement. I, I completely agree. Although I think um, if I look around my researcher friends, uh, that is another topic of how uh, messed up that system is in terms of how much uh, like ninety percent of their work is writing grants uh, and trying to get into papers who are like very some very elitist viewing. So, uh, but that's another topic. I think what's really the problem with universities is actually that there are so many uh, patents and inventions dusting on their shelves. And so it's not really about how they actually conduct the science, it's more about how do they utilize it. And so if it's just a LARPOLAR thing and they are researching for the sake of research, I think that's a big missed opportunity. And um, I'm not discouraging blue sky research, which doesn't have necessarily outcomes. And uh, I think Veronica put it right that Narrow thinking just commercially is not the right way. We need we need uh, blue sky research. But what's a shame is that there is often no technology transfer after the, the research has been done. Might not be the answer in the US or in Asia, but, but I think when we talk here about CEE, that's something that is kind of common here. I think it's common here. I think it's um, it's not really about regional. It's, I think there are some universities internationally that do it well. And the rest don't. <laughs> and so I think there are bad universities, both uh, in the US and, and in the UK, who don't utilize it well. I know that, uh, for example, Hungarian universities, because of the, how the government is financing them, has a very hard time in how do you actually, um, you know, hand, hand it over to a commercial entity and maybe get some reward rather than it uh, being dusting on the, uh, you know, dusting on your shelves. What we really want to facilitate is this technology transfer from the universities. I think it's super important topic. We are dealing with the crisis of, of, of complex identity that state is or complex organism that state is. And, and economy is something very complex in, within our, uh, within our countries and, and the region. And transfer of technology should be an element of an ecosystem. So, for example, if we start to make an electric car in Poland and we decide that we want to do it, it's not just that we need a factory. We should start to think about technologies that might support this process. So that universities or, or scientific institutions should, should be designing and starting to think about every each little small detail of that electric car. And when we have a need we have resources, we have the business reason and the 
the technology is coming, then we are building ecosystem. This is not something that is happening overnight. This is a long-term process. We need to have it on our horizon and work for that. And it's not only one company, one political party. This is this is a huge effort of very complex body that the country or economy or the or, or the region is. So if we transfer technology from the university to the business that nobody really needs or the system is not complex enough to understand or we do not have a institution that can benefit from this then actually there will be no no interest in this technology and i think there is the need of purpose for those scientific inventions. So they need to be for something, for the ecosystem. And we have this in Poland that the fantastic scientific inventions are being actually implemented abroad, not because Polish people didn't want to implement them in Poland or Polish companies. It's because we don't have ecosystem that could digest it, that could use it, that could have it in our system. We just had to export it somewhere where the ecosystem is ready to adapt this invention. So that's that's the problem. We are not, and this is not our fault. We are just not mature enough in our economies here in Central Eastern Europe. We just need to make it step by step as a, as the world is becoming much more complex and, and, and globalized. And we compare ourselves with other markets. Like we have, you know, our biggest problem is that the most advanced economy of the world is our neighbor. And we are comparing ourselves constantly with Germany. And of course, we are lagging behind and it's it's not easy. Uh, but the same the same time, we are so close that we can actually benefit from having inventions that will be supporting the economy of Germany that in the end is, is European, right? So a, uh, a solution to that would be that uh, universities uh, work, cooperate well with companies, um, with governments and that would be an ideal situation. Absolutely. And if we don't have cooperation between companies like Microsoft, the government, the NGOs, the academia, if they are not all playing together, uh, then it's not going to work. Well, um, I don't uh, quite uh, agree with Veronica. So um, because it's a very top-down approach. Um, and and so I respectfully disagree with this because... Um, an ecosystem, and people always forget, and a real ecosystem, there are entities that die. So there's, there's a fierce competition. That's, that's how an ecosystem really survives. And what I think we are doing, uh, is like looking at, um, uh, Silicon Valley, looking at uh, Boston ecosystem, the, the, now the Israeli ecosystem, and really imitating the collaboration that, that's happening there. And we are not really imitating the, the competitive landscape that's happening there. So I don't think it's a problem that there is currently, for example, for a new invention, there's not necessarily all the entities that can that can suck it up. And it's not a really big problem if they go to Germany, because um, actually in Europe, that's, maybe that's the biggest problem is that the markets are so small that they have to differentiate. And so regional differentiation in Europe means a different country. But I think as a Europe, that's actually very, very good because uh, the whole European economy becomes more resilient. If individuals can die, then um, the kind of the evolutionary process of these ideas is it works much better. So maybe maybe Poland itself might be worse off a little bit, but but uh, as a European economy, we, we become much stronger. 
So in in healthcare, it's 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 the problem is that because it's a complex system and there are so many stakeholders against each other, it's very hard for a new idea to really uh, penetrate the whole network. So you have something that's amazing, but startups and not just startups, but any entity have a hard time to get it to the hands of patients and the doctors. Healthcare is definitely on, on, on one of the most difficult ones in that regard. But the connection between university, well, uh, medical academies and, and business should be easy, shouldn't it? It should be, but it's always uh, the question of... Uh, how do individual organizations work? And um, and my I think what I'm seeing the biggest problem is that the decision making process in in these organizations are so slow. The collaboration between entities is very very difficult. Decision making processes can be maybe sped up. And so this is what we are trying to do with the, the ecosystem here with G Healthcare with University of Debrecen. Exactly the same in tech. Um... In tech sector, isn't it? I just want to comment that actually what Daniel was saying does not really contradict to what I was saying because I didn't mean ecosystems as startup ecosystems. I mean meant ecosystem as a way of thinking about the whole economy. You cannot change regulations when you don't have whole ecosystem working on it. So if the uh, politician or the public administration official does not understand how the technology works, and if the if the civil society is not raising the concerns of privacy or so on, and if we don't have academics that can explain all that or can be in the process of saying how we can change that or what's the problem, I mean, if we don't have everybody on board, then we just don't see the full picture. I think it's very interesting what you've been saying about that uh, it's difficult for the companies to get to the right ears. One of the key competences that are still going to be very much needed is your network and who you know. And also, I know that the biggest problem of startups from our part of, of the of the world is not that they lack of technical skills, they lack soft skills, pre- self-presentation and, and, you know, pitching. This is something that we are not very good at. I completely agree with this. Maybe we just have to be much more um, mission-driven or the narrative-driven uh, in, 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 as, as an economy. I know this is important, but we already have this theoretical background a bit. Um, the question of our session is, uh, is about those cool jobs. Um, I was thinking whether we can give like very concrete jobs, uh, that people will be able to, to, to hold, um, and in the future, uh, or is it still very, you know, there is no clear answer to that. Uh, Daniel, would you start? I really uh, like suggest to um, if anybody is thinking about this, to try to think about a, a process that currently exists and think about it first. How could that process look like in 100 years, and what would happen if we take out one part of that process? And through this thinking, you, you will you will realize well, actually, there are a lot of superfluous problems, and it might be different. But actually, from completely unrelated to this statement, what I'm really excited about is um, uh, bioengineering. And uh, I can imagine kids uh, in high schools um, not, uh, I don't know, drawing drawing things, but uh, actually designing plants, for example. The, the, the objective could be uh, build the prettiest plant for tomorrow, and you could actually bioengineer it 
uh, in your home lab and um, and I think this this is really interesting. We lately had uh, this um, space city uh, pre-designed. Uh, you think this is the job of the future that we'll build houses or I don't know facilities in uh, in the space? I think what's really interesting is not actually how to you build these houses because um, I think structural engineering is has passed, I think, the last 40 years to actually solve this problem. I think the bigger problem is how does urbanism look like on a different planet or in or 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 on a completely man-made object. Um, and uh, we take a lot of urban structures for granted that were part of like an evolutionary process and that's why they're optimal. But if you had to design it from top down, it would be a mess. And we have a lot of bad examples of architects building top down cities and city sections, which uh, just facilitated crime. So I think what, what's really interesting is space urbanism uh, and co going completely from a blank state uh, how do you create an interesting uh, place to live? Yeah, for that we need technology. Veronica, what's your ideas? So I think that the the work of the future that is gonna come up soon, and I think it's super super cool, is the city farmer, uh, because I think we will have the vertical farms in the city centers, uh, so the huge buildings full of plants and you know fully sustainable, uh, and we will need to have a, a farmer that is able to handle that, you know, without soil, just on this ar some artificial materials. And that you need to understand the technology because there will be so many meters of this farm that you need to, you know, control with your computer, that this is gonna be a completely new type of farmer. And I, you know, I'm very also excited about this new uh, new forms of of having meat without animals, actually, just artificial meat, which is still meat. And I think the future farming will be something very challenging, very interesting. And I was always very much interested in psychology, and now I think that psychology will be changing a lot. There will be different tools like VR to support people and. For example, designer of of, of uh, psychological therapy in VR. The maker movement, which is, I think, super exciting, is that you can build, prototype everything at home, uh, fix things that you couldn't otherwise do. And this actually fuels entrepreneurship uh, a lot. And people are much more resilient. They know how to, they, they, they lose their job, they lose their situation, realize how to run a business. These movement, maker movements are, are always amazing, be it in biotech, be it in, in 3D printing. I'm very big tech enthusiast, but at the same time, I see how we turn to the nature in the last years, how the pandemic showed that we want to be in the nature, in the forest, by the sea, whatever, all the time. And that's something that keeps us uh, feeling well and healthy, our minds especially. And I see how many of my friends are now starting their little craft things and how many of them are deciding to quit the tech job and do something that is real on their hands, not artificial. So I think that there will be some break mechanism and it's not doesn't need to be necessarily in the law. The break mechanism that will stop AI or technology before going too far and it's going to be us and it's going to be humans, that we will just say that we don't want that. We don't want to go too far. It's just that we want to stay in the nature because we are humans and, and it's not going to AI kill us. It's, it's us going to limit the AI. 
we can see it in the food, right? We we are now missing this natural, normal food yes. uh, rather than the very artificial one um, that we have easy access for. Um, I I have this uh, uh, this feeling that this um, future tech jobs are very much um, not that personal, you know, that this personal um, connection of many people, of teams, of groups is no longer the same. Um, and I see it as, a, as an issue uh, and a challenge that we'll have to face, that people will be more, more and more left alone. Daniel, some, some last thoughts of yours. I'm just thinking um, there is this very like um, well-known um, venture capitalist who could keep saying that technology has been stolen from the 80s on. So I think what we currently call technology, web-based technologies, are so commodified uh, that that's why they be, might become lonely and individualistic. Um, I think you know big infrastructure and technical. Uh, Problems uh, in the 20th century required a lot of manpower and and, and actually collaboration. And so I'm really I really want to see those happening. And that's why I think deep tech is an interesting area because you really you cannot do it alone. You really have to collaborate in that. And I think we really need to dream big again, just like in the 20th century, to make those large infrastructure projects, not the not just another advertising uh, app. So this is why I'm excited about technology. And I think there is a big shift now um, moving towards that. I think this, uh, we should meet in like 100 years and then see <laughs> if, if we were right, if you were right. Uh, guys, thank you very much. This has mm -hmm. been a fantastic uh, conversation. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Visegrad Insight podcast on the new Europe 100 forum, co-funded by the International Visegrad Fund.